I knew the headache was going to go, migraine headache, sinus congestion, so many miracles, and then hardly any miracles. And I'd pray and I'd say, Lord, why not? And I'd hear this still small voice that would say in my, in my spirit, fast. And I'd say, give me a different answer, Lord. And I'd just continue to not see any miracles and not fast. And, and I haven't been on a 40-day fast, but I've been fasting five weeks a day a week with no, literally no food at all for one day. And last week I felt the Holy Spirit say, it's time to turn it up a little bit. So last week I did two days. And I, the Bible says this. Sorry, I'm getting all weird on you, but oh, I had the page and everything. Darn it. Sorry. Um, in Isaiah 58, I think it is. In Isaiah 58, God says through Isaiah, is this the fast I choose to loosen the pot? Or is this not the fast I choose? Basically, this is the fast he chooses. To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house? When you see the naked, to cover him and to not and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, which is your brother and your sister, your own flesh. Then a little further down he says, And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then you will, your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will become like the midday. So the miracle is breaking the bonds, breaking the yokes of oppression. And I don't know, it was two weeks ago, Sarah Kate, something like that, she felt like the Holy Spirit was going to move to heal backs. And she told me, and I forgot, and we didn't pray for backs. And it, I feel like that's again. So, Mark, um, Nippa, stand up, please. I need two or three men to go and lay a hand on Mark back here. Mark's already having a miracle in his back. He's got this girdle thing on that he has to wear. His back is so messed up from, do you fall out of a ladder or something, Mark? Tree stand, yeah. Make sure your tree stand is fast and good. Um, I need three or four, five, ten people to just extend your hands towards JD. We're going to pray for JD's back. Where's Keith Engberg? Okay, come, come on up here where we can see you, Keith. You're going to get prayed for. It's your turn to get prayed for. Come on up here. And, and I need some people to lay their hands on Keith. Who else, needs, who else needs anything healed in their body today? Anybody else sick? John, come on up here. So guys, get a hand on John and get a hand on Keith for his back. Anybody else? Josie, okay. All right, bring the baby up here. I, I like to eat way too much, man. If I'm going to fast, we're going to see some miracles. Come on, we got to make just a space so the baby can get up here. Thank you, Jesus. Ears? Yeah, okay. Thank you. All right, if you're going to put your hand on JD, make it a light touch now. Okay. See, by his stripes we're healed. Jesus taught when his disciples said, John, John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, okay, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. We're praying to our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. His name is set apart. It's, it's like no other name. There's nothing we can compare his name to. It is so holy and so set apart. And then he says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He reveals to us the perfect will of the Father is manifest in heaven. You ask yourself how many bad backs are there in heaven? How many babies with breathing problems are there in heaven? There's none because God's perfect will is represented in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right here, as it is in heaven. He wouldn't have told us to pray that way if there wasn't some hope that we could actually see that prayer answered. So, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
We pray that every one of these bad backs be healed today, completely healed, completely restored, that their backs would be as if they were brand new, that the spine bones would be perfect, that the discs between the bones would be healthy, exactly perfect, no degradation, no anything wrong, the nerves, the blood flow, the muscles, the tissues, everything that would go into being a perfect back, just like it was in heaven. We pray for these backs. We command the flesh in these backs to be healed and restored and to align themselves with the perfect, perfect order of heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, we lift up little Josie right here and we say all your breathing problems go in the name of Jesus Christ, that your lungs are clear and they'll stay clear. Thank you, Jesus. No asthma. We curse asthma in the name of Jesus Christ, that you won't have asthma that you're going to be well and that you're going to breathe clearly and freely and that every week while your daddy's on vacation that your mommy's going to sleep because you're going to sleep too. Be healed and be well in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Where's Ken? Ken, wave your arm. Where are you at? Perfect. Okay, excellent. All right, Marcy, we're going to pray some heaviness off of you and some joy into your life. Let me see your hand. Thank you, Lord. We rebuke the spirit of heaviness in the name of Jesus Christ. And we lose the spirit of joy, the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Thank you. The lying spirits that would tell you other than all the joy that God has. Jesus left his joy for you. Everybody's circumstances are different. Yours are tough. We just bless Hunter in Jesus' name. We say joy to Marcy, joy to Marcy, joy to Marcy in Jesus' name. Be full of joy, be full of joy. Every day wake up with joy. Every night go to sleep with a song in your heart. In the name of Jesus Christ, we just bless you to be joyful, to rejoice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. two different deaf people and seeing them get their hearing back twice. Okay? God does it all the time.
back, it feels like somebody smeared like icy hot on there right now. Woo! Awesome. Hallelujah. Awesome. So can can we can you? It wasn't my breast spray. Oh good. <laughs> Beautiful. So Wow, so there's a scent. You know, the Bible says that we would be trained, that we would that we would know how to discern good and evil by the training of our senses. It, it, and it, I don't think it's saying spiritual sense. I mean literally natural senses that you could feel the presence of good or the presence of evil. God gives us all these senses and you can smell a fragrance. I believe it's probably heaven. Just let a little fragrance out. Nice for us. It's on Margie. <laughs> so can we just like sing a love song to him a little bit more in that chorus and then we'll move on? Thank you so much, everybody. God bless you. So, hey, here, you want? Majesty. one time and um, they had this lady speaking forget her name she is cool she was just a little tiny lady it was a we weren't actually pastors at the time it was a pastors conference and she's talking to all the pastors and she said I know how you guys think you think about your what do you call them your crazy uncle the Holy Spirit and when church starts you lock him in the attic so he doesn't scare the visitors <laughs> definitely not our attitude right <laughs> Oh, well, Holy Spirit, I don't think you're anybody's crazy uncle. I heard Bill Johnson say that the Holy Spirit is trapped inside unbelieving believers, and he wants out. That's what seems real to me. Well, hey, thanks for uh, that. I think that's what church is supposed to be like. When we follow the, the unction of the Holy Spirit, then he's free to move, and he wants to move through us, and... He wants us to be hungry. Our life, a love song for him. 
wants us to be hungry. It's so weird. The Holy Spirit would say to us, uh, get hungry and fast. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So today, well, we were ahead of schedule. Now we're not. It's all right. You're not used to getting out on schedule anyway. Today we're going to talk about loving the one, about Christian life, about walking through your day, about being at work, about going to the grocery store, about pumping gas in your car, about being at church, and recognizing the one. Some people, um, I think of a guy like Reinhard Bonnke, maybe you've heard of Reinhard Bonnke. He's uh, an evangelist, I guess is what you'd call him, German guy, and he does these crusades in Africa, maybe all over the world, probably in more places than just Africa, but millions and millions of people will be literally in one place at one time, and the power of God will come, and hearts will be changed, people will get saved, miracles will happen, and that's a perfect, awesome way for a Christian to represent Christ to people. But not all of us are going to preach to millions of people in a crusade, but each and every one of us, our life can be a love song. That wasn't planned, by the way, it's just such a great, our life can be a love song to the Lord, and whenever he puts us face-to-face with the one, that it's their time, then we, we need to be ready to respond. So that's what today's message is about. It's about loving the one. It's about loving that person that God would put in your path for a divine appointment right now. Okay, we'll start off in Luke, of all places. You read this scripture this past week. Luke chapter... I have to remember to breathe. Breathe, Pat. Luke chapter 4, verse... Yeah, this thing needs to be oxygen. It needs to be a double thing. Give me some, some oxygen and some voice amplification. Okay. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Let me give you some context first. Jesus has just come out of the wilderness, right? So he's roughly 30 years old. He goes down to the River Jordan. He gets baptized by John the Baptist. Up he comes... As he comes out, the uh, heavens part and the voice of the Father is heard as the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove and rests upon him. And then immediately the Holy Spirit takes him out into the wilderness. And for 40 days, he doesn't eat any food. I don't know, maybe he doesn't drink any water. He fasts. He denies himself. And in those 40 days, he's tempted, um, not just by some low-ranking demon, by Satan himself. Satan tempts him with perverted scripture. Jesus responds, with proper scripture. He comes out of that experience. He goes in with the Holy Spirit. He comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible reads. It's really cool. So now he's um, gone back to Nazareth, his hometown, and he walks into the synagogue, and he opens the scroll or the book, and he begins to read. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. If you read just a few verses down after that, he then says, and in your hearing, these prophecies are fulfilled. So he basically announces himself as the Christ in this synagogue in Nazareth, and explains to the people why he was sent, what he was to do, and that he was the one. <laughs> that he was the one, okay? So um, we talked a few weeks ago about John when we, when we talked about the things like the Great Commission and the things that Jesus told us to do as he sent us out. And in chapter 20 of John, in verse 21, 
Jesus says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So as he was sent by his Father, we are sent by him as his disciples, right? Well, if we use Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, when Jesus proclaims himself as a guide, then we get a sense for how we're sent. Because as he was sent by the Father, we are sent by him. How are we sent? First, we're sent with the Spirit of the Lord upon us, right? In us and upon us. His power to witness, his power to heal, all those things. We are sent with power. That power is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who is in us, he's on us. We're sent. We're sent anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. So if we're not sure, if we think we don't have what we need, we don't need anything but the anointing, right? In 1 John He's talking about, um, about knowing things. And, and he says that you need that no man would teach you, but that the anointing would lead you to all truth. The anointing in that context is the Holy Spirit. So we're anointed. We have what it takes because we have the Holy Spirit. We're anointed to preach. To proclaim release to captives, lost people. See, Israel missed Jesus primarily because they thought Messiah was going to come as this warrior with a, with a shield and a sword, and, and they were going to be set free from the oppression of Babylon, in this case, the oppression of Rome, that they were always under this oppression. They are always somebody else's whipping boy. They missed him because that's not what he came to do, at least not that time. He'll come again for that, but that time he came to set them free from the bondage of sin. They were captive to sin. He came to set them free. We proclaim release to the captives. We proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus, when he healed blind people, that was a miracle that never had been done before. That was one of the ways they knew he was Messiah. No blind person had ever been healed miraculously before. We are to pro proclaim, man, I can't say that word, proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Can I call you out just a second? Since I already asked you right in front of all these people. Tell me no, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Most of you know Marcy. Hunter can't be here now because as the wintertime comes, um, he's too susceptible to catch a bug. And his system isn't strong enough. For those of you who don't know Hunter, he's going to be 11 in December, right? He'll be 11 in December. Um, he doesn't speak. He, he spends all, he doesn't walk or anything. He's got the Holy Spirit. God talks to him all the time. He's an awesome, wonderful, joyful kid. But Marcy's life, 24-7, you know, 365 days a year, is caring for Hunter. Most of us have no idea what that would be like. And there's a heaviness that can come with that sometimes. And see, this thing here, uh, to set free those who are oppressed, see, there's a freedom in Jesus Christ that we have. Sometimes even as believers, Holy Spirit-filled believers, we can fall prey to the enemy stealing our joy. But we can set them free. That's why I prayed for you. I felt such, it was before when we were worshiping, I, I, I just felt this Holy Spirit just wanted to tell you that he's got so much joy for you. And I know you walk in joy quite a bit, but sometimes it's tough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we love you. Honestly, we love you a lot. And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I, I just feel like I want to say again, he's talking to me, right? He's talking to you. He's talking to all of us. He's not talking to the person sitting next to you. He's not talking to the, to the pastor because he's the one that's supposed to do all this stuff and you put money in the bucket and somehow that gets him an anointing to do it. No, it's all of us. He's speaking to the church, to us. Okay, so let me give you some Bible stories and then some 
um, life stories about loving the one. We'll start with blind Bartimaeus. In Luke 18, verses 35 through 43, it reads, As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. So Jesus was walking down the road, and there's this guy, Bartimaeus, and he's blind. Um, if you read this same account in, I think it's Mark, he talks about that he, he jumped up and left his cloak or his blanket. If you're blind Bartimaeus, everything you have, you have because you're a beggar. And he had such faith in Jesus that he was literally willing to walk away, right? A, a blind guy that walks away from his cloak is not likely to walk back and find it because he's a blind guy, right? So it was so powerful to him to get to Jesus that he walked away from what might have been his most valuable, valuable possession, that thing that kept him warm at night. So you're going to have the same situation that Jesus had. Um, Jesus has been sent by the Father. He's been sent with this anointing and this power to do all these things. And on his way of doing them, his disciples, there's a guy that, that was the target of Jesus' ministry, screaming out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what did the disciples do? They told the guy to shut up. You're going to bug the Messiah. You might get your sight back. They're, they're telling him, be quiet, be quiet. But Jesus said, what is that? He, he understood his mission. He had eyes to see and ears to hear, just like we need to pray for. Well, the same is going to be your problem and my problem. We're going to be walking through the grocery store or in the park somewhere, and someone is going to catch our eye. And the Holy Spirit's going to say, that's the one for this time. Go and say hello to that person. You're going to say, Lord, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? And the voice you'll hear is a spirit of fear, the fear of man. Because what's that person going to think? They're going to think I'm a nut. They're going to think I'm crazy. That's the voice you're going to hear. What Jesus had to deal with was his disciples who thought they were doing a good thing by telling those people, be quiet, we're on our way someplace. They didn't understand that Bartimaeus was where they were headed. You'll have the same problem. So when Jesus stopped for the one, what happened? There's some cool things that happened if you read at the end of that verse. The first thing is Bartimaeus got his sight back, right? That was awesome. Bartimaeus was a blind guy. Jesus healed him. Now remember, Jesus in this context is fully God and he's fully man. He has not accessed his deity in order to do the miracles that he does. So he's like us. He's a person, a man or a woman with the Holy Spirit doing the things that he hears the Father say and sees the Father do. The second thing that happened is that Bartimaeus followed Jesus. right? So you might have a divine appointment with somebody to do whatever it is that God sends you to do and the outcome of that is greater than the thing. They were blind and now they see. Maybe they'll also follow Jesus. So now a soul gets saved in the process. Number three, Bartimaeus glorified God. He, he gave glory to God because Jesus stopped and made time to deal with his situation, which was blindness. And then the fourth thing, which is as cool as all the rest, is that all the people that saw it glorified God. 
That's a pretty good outcome, right? If you stop for the one and, and those things happen, the miracle happens, the person follows Jesus, the person glorifies God, and then anybody that sees it would glorify God. That's a good outcome. Okay, story number two. Um, Jesus is talking, and a lawyer is testing him. He asks him the questions about, you know, what are the greatest commandments? He says, you know, how, how do I get saved? And Jesus tells him about, you know, the two great commandments. Love the, the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And um, the guy kind of says, well, then who is my neighbor? And this is where it reads now from uh, chapter 10, verse 30 through 37. This is Jesus' reply. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, wounds pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he, this being the lawyer, said, The one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said, Go and do the same. So that's another cool um, loving the one kind of a story where you get this priest and this Levite that see the need. Right? The need is right in front of them. And they cross on the other side of the road and go by. They, they don't respond. Um, both Jews, a Levite is the tribe of Levi. They're one of, the, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob goes the other way. A Samaritan, you see, if you were this lawyer guy and you were hearing this story from Jesus, a Samaritan is a despised person to the Jews. They're, they're a half-Jew. They're, they're a Jew that went outside of their people and... Um, is, is less than a Jew, and they despise the Samaritans. So Jesus uses the example of this person that they would despise as being the one who did the will of God in this context and was a neighbor to the man. He went to him, and he helped him. He, he picked him up. He put him on his beast. He took him to the inn. He cleaned him up, put some wine on his wounds and some oil. And they told the innkeeper, if he needs anything else, you just provide it for him, and when I come back by this way again... I'll take care of the cost of whatever you've done to have to care for this guy. It's loving the one. It's taking care of who is in your face right now today when the Holy Spirit stirs you. This is a story um, of an experience that Mother Teresa had, and I think it's Mother Teresa actually telling the story. She says, Some of my sisters work in Australia. On a reservation among the Aborigines, there was an elderly man. I can assure you that you have never seen a situation as difficult as that poor old man's. He was completely ignored by everyone. His home was disordered and dirty. I told him, please, let me clean your house, wash your clothes, and make your bed. He answered, I'm okay like this. Let it be. I said again, you'll be still better if you allow me to do it. He finally agreed. So I was able to clean his house and wash his clothes. I discovered a beautiful lamp covered with dust. Only God knows how many years had passed since it was last lit. I said to him, don't you light your lamp? Don't you ever use it? He answered, no, no one comes to see me. I have no need to light it. Who would I light it for? 
I asked, would you light it every night if the sisters came? He replied, of course. From that day on, the sisters committed themselves to visiting him every evening. We cleaned the lamp, and the sisters would light it every evening. Two years passed. I had completely forgotten that man. He sent this message. Tell my friend that the light she lit in my life continues to shine still. I thought it was a very small thing. We often neglect small things. So here's this guy, uh, ignored by the other people that he lives with. His house is nasty and dirty and disheveled. And, you know, anybody that might come to see him will see how dirty he is and, and just want to continue to go the other way, walk on the other side of the street, not engage with this guy because he's offensive. Makes me think of Heidi Baker in uh, Mozambique when she would go into the dump. Now, in Mozambique, um, they have nothing, right? So if you went into the dump in Michigan, if you were from Mozambique, you could find treasure in an American dump. But in Mozambique, they got nothing. So if something ends up in the dump, it's really junk. It's worthless. But the orphan children in the cities like Maputo, where she was, that's the only place they could scratch out anything to eat. They'd dig through that mess to find anything that they could feed themselves with. And Heidi would go into the stench and the flies and all the nastiness of the dump so that she could touch them with Jesus' love, the kids. And she didn't drag them out of the dump and love them and then go on to someplace else. She went into the dump and loved them. Same with Mother Teresa. She didn't see the squalor and all the things. She saw this man that God loved so much that God had put in her path. And she was from Calcutta, right? So she had to be just visiting Australia. And she saw this guy. She could have said, wow, you know, I'm going to pray, Lord, that somebody that's an Australian, somebody that's here will come and, and love this man and light the lamp for him and come and visit him so that he can find your love. She didn't do that. She just went there, and she said, please, let me clean your house. Let me do your laundry. Let me get all this nasty squalor cleaned up so that you can live more comfortably. And she had to make him let her do it. But look what happened to this old man. The sisters from her order, I guess some of her order must be down in Australia as well. If you don't think Jesus lives in the Catholic Church, man, I'm telling you, I think he does. I tell you this story, I'm in this story, but I tell it to you because I want you to know Mike's um, reaction to this. Mike Taylor, you know Mike, um, he's an airline pilot, he's gone quite a bit. One day he called me and he said, hey, you know, when I'm in town, let's hang out. Can we just spend some time together? I said, sure, and some time later he called me and he said, you know, can we get together? And I said, yeah, you know, but let's do something good with our time. So we went to the grocery store, and we bought thick-sliced bologna, and we bought um, nice, nice cheese and really good um, bread, whole grain, nice bread and mustard and cookies and hot chocolate and cups and plates and paper towels for napkins. We went back to his house, and we made all these uh, bologna sandwiches, and we packed all the stuff, the hot chocolate and the sandwiches and the cookies into a cooler with wheels and we, we drove up to Flint and we just dragged the cooler up and down the street. And whenever we'd come across somebody that was in that day that was the one, we'd stop and we'd offer them some stuff. And some people would look at us. I mean, even hungry, homeless people would look at us and say no. And others would say sure and they'd grab a sandwich but they'd run just as fast as they could. And others would stop and talk with us. Like there was this one guy, we probably spent an hour with him. I don't even think the guy was sane. I think he was crazy. Um, some of the stuff that he said was just way out there. I didn't feel like 
God was telling us that we need to bring him into our home and we needed to, you know, shave him and shower him and pray until he got saved again. I felt like he was, for that moment, he was the one for us, that he needed to experience Jesus' love. And when he got done talking with us and he'd had enough to eat and hot chocolate to drink, he got up and left. Matter of fact, we went back looking for him because he didn't have, it was wintertime and he didn't have any socks. He just had shoes on his feet but no socks. And we got some socks but we couldn't find him again. We ran into this other guy. He was sitting on a bench or it was like a kind of like a picnic table. Um, gosh, I don't know how old the guy was. He was pretty old. He didn't have any teeth. Big old nasty. I mean, just beard every place. And a Bible sitting in front of him on this table. So we sat down and talked to him about the Bible. Turns out he lived at Carriagetown Shelter. And it was a beautiful sunny winter day and he walked from Carriagetown to downtown and was just sitting on the bench and I guess watching the cars go by. So we ate bologna sandwich with him and we drank some hot chocolate with him and blessed him, prayed over him, and went on our way. The moral of the story is this. Mike Taylor is a guy who's seen a lot of stuff. I mean, his dad is a Presbyterian minister. He's an airline pilot. He travels all the time. I mean, he's, you know, he's a guy that knows stuff. He was so blown away. He was so totally blown away. He's like, Pat, this was the greatest experience. I mean, I, I've never had an experience like this. I feel so full of joy. I feel like I did something. That's what happens when you stop for the one. If you step past the fear, if you step past the, um, what's he going to think? I guess it's all fear, really. And, and you walk with Jesus. You get this crazy blessing that's beyond Mike's ability to even understand it. He was so blown away. I was blown away too, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm every weekend you know, up in Flint feeding sandwiches to the people. But I was blessed. Mike was blessed. We need those experiences, right? Those things where we trust God, we understand who we are, we understand what we're called to, and then we actually do it. Um, okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about how we might do some of this stuff, but first, are you ready to show the video? Can we show the video? We're going to watch a video. Matter of fact, as you're queuing that up, give me a second, because we're actually doing okay. As I was preparing for this message, I, was, um, I went on the Internet, and, I, okay, I've been nice to that fly twice. If he comes back, I'm killing him, just so you know. <laughs> um, and I started Googling, like, foster care Michigan, and this website came up, and I started clicking on these things, and it was basically a child or, or two children or three children and I came to figure out that when they were grouped together it's because they were brothers and sisters of kids that didn't have a home and I'm telling you in front of my computer I'm getting all choked up and then I remember I've been getting these emails from this place called Foster Hope I didn't really paid much attention to them because I get emails all the time from missionary I mean everybody everybody wants your money um, so I went and I dug one up and I found that they had a website and I looked on their website I got the phone number and I called and it said if you want to speak to the director press one and and this lady gets on the phone and I said hi you know I'm Pat Brady I'm pastor at this little church called Church on the Street and we're getting ready to do some stuff and I wondered if you could hey hang on just a minute I don't know what happened to me I start crying like a little baby and I'm trying to say honestly just give me one second I can collect myself it'll be it'll be okay and the next thing I'm hearing like she thinks I'm a freak. And I gave her my name, and I told her the name of the church. And <laughs> Turns out the phone line actually just went dead. But this video, or, or at least the part that we're going to show this morning, is from Foster Hope, and it'll give you just a sense for how 
we're going to engage as a church here in the next few months um, with the one. Average foster child spends 25 months in the foster care system. So soup to nuts, some longer, some shorter. The average is over two years in the system. 49% of foster children have no expectation of returning to their birth family. So either they were so bad parents or maybe they passed away or something. I don't know. But almost half have no, there is no expectation that they could ever get back with their birth families. 33% will re-enter the system within three years. So they go into the system and they live maybe with the foster family for a while and then they exit the system, either adopted or back with their family again. One out of every three within three years will be back in the foster care system again. I don't think this statistic was up there, but she shared it with me on the phone. I learned a new term that, that I'd never heard before. If you're familiar with foster care, like I know some of you are, you, your foster families, God bless you for it. Um, there's a term called aged out. So the state of Michigan, if they take a, a child away from their, their family and are, they're now responsible for that child's care, only until they reach the age of 18. And if they're 18 and they're still in the foster system, they basically age out. The state's not responsible for them anymore. And you know, unless, I guess, their foster family decides they want to keep them, they just basically get let go with some little stipend from the state. And you know, they've got no skills. Maybe they're, they're just not prepared. And they don't have any infrastructure. Could you imagine being 18 years old and maybe having no family at all? 50% of the girls that age out of the foster care system, are pregnant within 12 months of their 18th birthday, 50%. So um, in Michigan, 514 children will age out of the system this year. So 257 of them, if it's 50-50, are girls. Of those 257, 125 or whatever, 126, will be pregnant within 12 months because they, they, they're looking for love, right? And, and they think they find it when, with a boy that's probably not real love, but they end up pregnant. And what, what cycle starts over again? The cycle starts over again. It said one-third of people that were in the foster system at one time in their life, at another time in their life, will end up homeless. 514 kids will age out of the system this year. So here's some things that Church on the Street's gonna do. You, you actually have to decide to do these things. We're going to st stir them up and make them available to you. We're working with a couple of agencies now, and there's more to come. All the details will come a little bit later. But um, the first one, for either Thanksgiving or Christmas, we're going to get a list of names of children that are aged out of the foster care system. And we're going to invite them to our homes for Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, you might not be able to. You might go to somebody else's house. It might not be something that... That, that would be appropriate. But if it is, I promise you we will. And, and we're just going to invite them to come and have dinner with us for Thanksgiving. And we're going to get to know them. And maybe the least that will come from that whole thing will be that we'll have had dinner with somebody and we met somebody new and maybe they'll just, you know, we'll never be part of each other's lives again. But the Bible talks about that when you throw a feast, that you should invite the people to your feast that couldn't invite you to a feast because they couldn't have one themselves that when, when you invite the person that would then invite you, there's no reward in that. So I think an aged out foster kid is somebody that fits that criteria. 
but maybe at the far end of the, the other end of that spectrum will be maybe a young man or a young lady that's 18 or 19 years old and, and they're in a situation, but they don't have a family. And maybe the phone will ring and they'll say, hey, Pat, or hey, Teresa, um, I need to buy a car and this guy's trying to sell me this car, but I don't know if it's a good car or a bad car. Could you come help me and just help me decide whether this is you know, a good value? And I'd say, sure, I'll get Keith Engberg or Eric Rose and we'll be right over. Uh, you know, a young lady that might need some counseling from someone that loves them, someone that knows Jesus. So I don't know what'll happen, but we're going to invite aged-out foster kids into our homes, and we're going to bless them with, at the very least, a dinner at Christmas time or Thanksgiving or maybe both. Second thing we're going to do as a church is, at Thanksgiving, we're going to ha- help people to actually have a Thanksgiving dinner. So if there's anybody at church on the street, you know, we we figured about how many we think we can afford first priority is anybody in this house. Anybody in this family that needs help with a Thanksgiving dinner, we're going to make sure you got a Thanksgiving dinner. Second would be if you know somebody, your neighbor, your aunt, your uncle, somebody that needs help that might not be able to have a dinner for Thanksgiving, let us know. We'll make sure they have a Thanksgiving dinner. And then the third thing we're going to do, if, if we haven't consumed all that we can afford, is we're going to go to like the Linden school district or, or Linden mayor, the Argentine mayor, and just ask them, you know, are there any families that you might point us towards that we could help so we could see that they have a good, nice Thanksgiving dinner, that they don't have to worry about that. So that's what we're going to do on top of the aged out foster kids for Thanksgiving. And then there's two things on top of that that we're going to do for Christmas. One is called Operation Christmas Child. It's, um, oh my gosh, I forgot the guy's name. What's the famous evangelist, American guy, Texas guy? His son is now Franklin Graham. Thank you. It's Franklin Graham. I think is it's his ministry. And basically, um, it's called Samaritan's Purse. And, and you pack shoeboxes. Like, they send out millions and millions of shoeboxes at Christmas time. So kids in Ecuador and kids in India and Africa and probably the United States, I hope, that couldn't get a Christmas present will get these shoeboxes, and they'll have stuff, you know, age-appropriate toys and maybe a little shirt or something. We're going to make up a bunch of uh, boxes and send them off and they'll go and, you know, people will get blessed. Kids will get blessed at Christmas. And then the other thing we're going to do is we're going to have this angel tree. How many of you ever heard of angel tree? Okay, good. So you could volunteer to help. Um, we're going to have an angel tree, some sort or another, with, you know, names of individuals or families. I've never actually done angel tree before so i don't know all the details of angel tree but you'll be able to pick a family or pick a child off the angel tree and then some way or another bless them for christmas time so that's what we're going to do we're going to um reach out to the foster aged out foster kids i know that's going to lead us to a whole bunch of places we can't see that far down the road yet but with foster hope and these agencies that we're talking to now that'll that'll kind of push us down probably into the younger kids do what we can to help foster care. Teresa and I, for years, I don't know, probably five, six years, used to go one Sunday a month up and hang out with these boys at uh, Whaley that lived in one of the houses at Whaley. It was a, it was really an awesome experience. I think they're probably in the foster care system. Um, anyway, that's what we're doing. That's how we'll create opportunities for, for all of us, anybody that wants to, to love on the one. that will, you know One will be put in, right in front of us and we'll love on them and then be conscious of all the other opportunities that happen every minute of every day that you're awake. So let's finish where we started. 
Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. I changed the words a little bit, so. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you because he anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent you to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And the last verse I'll read to you is out of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So at the end of the day, we're being the church, or in our case, you know, we call ourselves, it's not by accident, church on the street, is given our lives a ransom for the many, one person at a time. Maybe some of us will be riding our bonky someday and, and we'll give our life in front of a million people in Africa. But if we never do, there's always a little one to love that God puts in front of us at any given moment. And, and likely, sometimes they'll be the most aesthetically beautiful, wonderful, attractive person that you just want to love on and it'll be easy. But sometimes they'll be like the Aborigine guy in Australia and they'll be dirty and filthy more stories. I remember when we were at an outreach one time with, up in Flint at this soup kitchen and we had all these clothes and stuff to give away and this lady came and she was about this tall and I don't know, she was probably in her mid to late 70s and it was cold and snowy and she had gym shoes on and she wanted a coat and she wanted some boots. <laughs> somebody, Somebody in the well-intentioned brought her like these size nine or ten men's cowboy boots and she looked at him and she looked over at me and she said do you have somebody smart that can help me <laughs> bless her heart so um you know we found her a coat and whatnot but we couldn't find her any boots so we loaded her up in our van and we drove her over to target um, you might know troy prince some of you troy was with us dr troy is a chiropractor in town we get her like talking to a lady on the phone. We get her over there where the shoes are and she sits down and Troy, and I mean Troy, like if you ever saw a speck of dirt under that man's fingernails, it'd be because the mortician didn't clean him good. Troy would never have a speck of dirt under his fingernail. He's meticulous. He's, he's crazy anal about that kind of stuff. Gets down on his knees and he starts peeling these crusty, nasty socks off this lady's feet. Wet, soaking gym shoes. And they were just... They were gross. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I don't know this guy. But the Spirit of the Lord was on him. And he took the socks off her and he said, go find some socks. And we found some socks and we opened the bag and we put the socks on her feet and found her some boots. And he put the boots on her feet and got her up and we went and we paid for the stuff. And we took her back to this place where she lived. It was this a little room and it didn't have any heat. She had on like seven sweatshirts and she had on a coat and she had all these pants and I don't know why I told you that story. It just popped into my head as I was talking. But that's what it looks like. And I promise you, there's a big pile of treasure in heaven that's got Troy Prince's name on it because he didn't care about how nasty her feet were. Because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. I pray in you too, Lord Jesus, that each and every one of us would serve 
like you to not to be served, but to serve. Thank you for your love. Thank you that 